sometimes the distance between like uh, stupidity and brilliance is kind of hard to tell. How many people passed on Google or thought that Tesla is going to fail? It's a high risk, a very ambitious project. I actually told people, and we have it recorded on all hands, let's not drink our Kool-Aid. This is like valuation. It's not something we celebrate. We celebrate the number of customers, the number of employees. These are the real metrics that matter to a company. It's all we're raising, not for the valuation. We're raising and to have the money for a rainy day. Because I knew from 2000 and 2008 that, you know, it's just a matter of time. It will come. Hi, I'm Jubin, operating partner at Kleiner Perkins, and I'm excited that you're tuning into Grit, a show that candidly explores how hard it is, both personally and professionally, to create, build, and scale world-class organizations. If you're a fan of the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you so much. I got a note from someone on your team 30 minutes ago on LinkedIn Say, yeah, hey, we ready to do a meet. Because I tell my team, I got to go. Don't you think that I've done my work? I'm going to do a podcast. Says, Which one? Says, great. I says, oh, my God. It's great. We love that. Yeah. Uh, Medicine Grass. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh, she's an AE on the team. I don't even think I've ever met her in person. She's just a fan. Do you have fans? So yeah. weird. It's a meet. Yes. But everybody must say a meet. Unless you're from India. Uh-huh. So Indian, it's also an Indian name. I'm Israeli. People from India, a meet is apparently like a thing over there. And I was like, you know, when we get on Zoom, right, or something, oh, you're not Indian, right? Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, sorry to disappoint, but it's like, uh, yeah. So people from India pronounce it actually pretty well, but most people would say like Amit or something. Or Amit or something. Yeah. Do you have the heart to correct them? I yeah. don't. But I also know that people want me to correct them when it's like Jubin. But I don't. To me, people can call it whatever they want. It's Doesn't totally matter. cool. I, I do. If I get a call, something that I don't know how to pronounce is like, uh, do I pronounce your name? So I ask. Like if, if me talk about some to someone else, yeah. I would definitely ask them about it. Me, I don't care. And are you intentional about remembering their names? Yes. So we have about 1,250 people in the company. We have like captain's table, which I take them like breakfast, lunch or dinner, something like a few meals a day. So all my meetings, I have like pictures, names, what they do, how long they've been in the company, who's their manager. And I memorize that. So before the meeting, I'll remember the name, I'll say it aloud, and I try to give everybody that experience. That they, Every uh, meeting? Every meeting. So your team, assistant, whoever it is, will literally... She prepared... Yeah, I can show you. She prepares a document for me, and it has like everybody's uh, here. This is from um, Friday, Captain's Table. What does Captain's Table mean? Captain's table, I go out and take five or six team members from different corners of the company just to talk. Give you like SDRs. Wherever you are, whatever office you're in. Wherever you are. If there's a Dublin, we do it there. In Tel Aviv, I do it sometimes in my house, sometimes in an office. Here, we just go to places. So she'll prepare a file for me. You can see like every meeting, I have that. And I, on my way, I read it and I, I memorize everything. No kidding. Yeah. And you are very intentional, SDR to SVP. You're going to remember their name. Well, SVPs, I remember the names, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's the SDRs. And uh, with so many people in the company, it's uh, very hard. And the things that you're looking at just based on this are job, time at Gong, who do they work for? Yeah. Is the who do they work for? Do you do that because you want to ask them questions about their boss? No, I don't ask them questions. Usually they, it's an opportunity for them to ask me a question. Just give me like, I know what team they are. They're in commercial, they're just in enterprise. Just, just help me orient like, you know, what's their context, right? It's their worldview. Where is it coming from? What was the tipping point for you where you started to need that in the company? Well, usually this this like number of like 120. Yeah, uh, there's right? a name you, for it. Yeah, so there's, yeah, I remember that constant. And I did it like previous companies before when I was CEO. I take people like one-on-one and walk and talk, right? Just, just walk for an hour and talk about everything from uh, meaning of life to work, to professional career, just get to know it, uh, each other. And then there's like a captain's table, which I do. It's like, you know, you know, two or three times a week. There's now some virtual something called like party of six. We do the same thing over Zoom for people that can't attend in person and a lot of other opportunities. And uh, it just helps you communicate and connect the company in a much better way. Why do you do that? Why do you do the captain's table? You're pretty busy, man. You got a lot of competing priorities for you to take, you know, an entry level person that came straight out of college. I don't know. 
You have a name for it. It's programmatic. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, like you spend uh, time preparing we, we for We have it. a full program. We have like a, a captain's log, which is a Slack channel. I send picture what's happening with my life, what's happening with other team members. There's captain's table, party of six, walk and talk. It is important as a company grows. And again, you can't talk with everybody. But, you know, if I talk to certain people, right, they'll talk to some of their friends and some of their colleagues. And it helps, like, communicate what the company priorities are. It helps them, like, surface, like, concerns or questions that they have. And at Gong, we have one of our leadership principles. It's called, like, no royalty. You're supposed to be able to communicate with anybody in a company. You don't have to go through, like, chains of command, you're not better than anybody. Yeah, we're, you're more senior in your organization. There is structure, but it's not that the uh, medicine that we spoke about, right? She started as an SDR. She's amazing. She's climbing up. And, you know, we had like our first walk and talk, I think, in our kickoff, right? And that's how you grow the people. You help them understand what the company is about, what we're doing, what are the challenges, what are the priorities. And next time that they need something, they feel free to connect with me, right? Because they know me. In a walk and talk, let's imagine it's 30 minutes. How much are you talking versus listening? As I'm talking as much as I'm being asked. Yeah. Right. And sometimes I ask questions and yeah. usually I don't ask people about work. I'll try to, you know, what's going on? Like, how are you doing? What are the challenges? I will ask. But sometimes it's career advice. It's, I don't know, maybe we need gong for that so we can measure my talk time and the, uh, the questions. That's right. That's right. Well, look, I'm absolutely thrilled to have you here. I have heard so much. We've overlapped several different times in really random places. And so to have you here at the KP office, it means a lot. So thank you. My pleasure. What was the first job you ever had? As an adult? No, the first time someone paid you. Didn't even have to be in W-2 format. So as a teenager, I did like summer jobs. I was like uh, working in a mailroom, like filling envelopes with mailer. My mom worked for an insurance company. So I was doing that. I was like sorting bulbs at a farm. You know, I quit after a day because like, oh, it was terrible. And my first job, I was like selling at a retail store. I was born and raised in Israel and I was working at a guitar store, kind of like a guitar center here. Mm -hmm. And I was just selling. And you were the first in your family to go to college? Yes. Yes. I have a very large family. My parents didn't go to college. Like most of my family, we come from a very humble background, lower middle class, working class. I was the first. It wasn't obvious. wasn't even like expected. It's not that someone told me you need to go to it just kind of like a, a desire. And this is in Israel? Yeah. That's a little surprising to me because Israeli culture is not too dissimilar from my culture, from Persian culture, which is very education oriented. Right. So help me understand that. Like, I'm surprised to hear that, to be honest. No, I was educated. You know, I definitely went to school. I read a lot as a child. And, you know, I was like, you know, a rich supply of books that I read, like since early age. And again, we're talking like a while ago. Mm -hmm. So today it's different. Like everybody goes to college. But back when I grew up, no, it wasn't necessarily assumed or expected. You didn't have to. I think I would be shellacked if I didn't go to college. I think that I think I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have. So when I wanted to go to high school and, you, you know, in Israel, you have you could go to like general high school, you could like a vocational to learn. So my dad actually, you know, maybe go like learn electronics. So, you know, you'll have like a profession, right? Whatever you do, you have a job. I didn't. And your family still lives in Israel? Yeah. You live in Israel. I live in Israel. So my wife, my two boys, and I pretty much commute to San Francisco. You spend half your time here? I spend half of my time here, and I spend about a month a year on airplanes. That's crazy. A full month. Over time, any good travel tips that you've developed? Anything that you do to stay sharp? People ask me a lot, uh, you know, how do you deal with the jet lag and all of that? First, I just do it, right? You get on an airplane, you land. But... I try to stay like pretty healthy. I eat healthy. Mm. I exercise a ton. And then, you know, managing a light, your kind of circadian circle. I don't drink alcohol like on days when I fly. So I don't take like cocktails on airplane is anything, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of from a melatonin, sometimes an ambient to help sleep, which is important. I work out hard on days of the travel. So Same. when I get on the plane, I'm just Exhausted. dead. Right. So I have to fall asleep. Yeah. So you're sleeping on the plane, right? Generally, you're yes. not trying to work. Yes. yes. Yeah. So I spoke with your wife. She's a sweetheart. You're nervous oh. about her. You're nervous about our conversation. <laughs> I promised her that I wouldn't share everything. So maybe you, you I'll, can, you I'll, can I'll, share. I'll, it's all good. One picture that my team printed for me is this. Do you know what this is? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's a reminder to, what is this? 
So this is, I was going on air. Uh, I think it's like with NASDAQ, uh-huh. the interview me live, live broadcast. And I have Dan Race, who's our um, head VP of communications. He's kind of my coach. And we always like rehearse this stuff. And he said like two things you need to do. Like remember to smile and slow. I tend to speak fast, right? And sometimes it's hard for people to understand. So slow down, break the senses. So you see, I'm talking a little fast right now. Uh. But... I put these like two post-its so I, I remember them and always have them in front of me and look at the camera is like the third thing. Do you find it tricky with, I assume English was your second language. Yes. Is that an insecurity? Do you have that in, because so much of your job is the chief communications officer right. of Gong. It is sometimes, yeah, it's a little bit because it, it definitely, I have a lot of typos, sometimes because I type super fast and I don't even like bother to read like proofread your emails. Yeah, you're saying. I, yeah, I don't sometimes. And I know, you know, I'm okay with that. Right. Hopefully people understand he's not just dumb. Right. He's just typing fast. And when I speak, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you never know where you're saying something that, you know, doesn't sound right. But I hope that, you know, something is that, you know, what I say or kind of the energy or the content of my message outweighs the deficiencies in my speech. On the splitting time between here and Israel, I'm fascinated. By the way, when I come to Israel, can we go out to dinner, like to one of your favorite restaurants? Absolutely, yeah. I am obsessed with Israeli food. I would love that. Yeah, you're my guest. I'm obsessed. How do you negotiate that with your family? That is a very tricky balance. It is is very tricky. just to be clear, when you're home for half the year, you're still working. Like it's not like just because you're home now. You, you yeah, in my profession, it's like it's pretty much 24 on 7. You're always working. To some degree, in Israel, I actually work harder because of the time zone. So in Israel, I have like a day job, which I go to the office in Tel Aviv. And then at night, I start the call with California, right? Mostly like West Coast and East Coast. I work more hours when I'm in Israel. I work like fewer hours, at least with people when I'm here. You know, before we started... Gong. Gong is kind of the fourth company that I'm leading. And we didn't need to do that, like financially or anything. But I had this idea, right, for a company. And we, the four of us, Sarit and the two boys, we had a discussion. And uh, dad had his thing. He wants to start <laughs> a new company. You know, how do you feel about it? And, uh, and you know, it's going to be more travel. But, you know, they're supportive. And so it's a passion and a profession. And we try to make up by the quality time that we do meet together. We do communicate. So, you know, my younger son is a big football fan. So now we're, you know, we're watching FIFA together, quote unquote, right? He's there. I'm here. And we're talking about texting to uh, discuss the games. So we try to do as much as we can. But it, it is definitely a price. I've heard you talk about when you were deciding to start the company, you said we started the company, and I thought you meant you and your co-founders, but you were talking about your family. Well, it's me and my co-founder, but definitely the family the is part of it. Yeah, that. yeah, you, yeah. If you don't have the family as support, it's a big deal. It's a very demanding job. It's very hard. There are a lot of like ups and downs, and you need to have the support of the family. Without it, it's definitely impossible. And how does the conversation go? Is it a very pragmatic view of the demands that this will take? on your time and pretty much everything. They know. So I've always worked hard. So even like when I was an officer in a company, it wasn't my company. I never felt that, you know, this isn't my company. I should be working on this. I was like super committed and super driven and super passionate. So they kind of, we know each other very, very well. And it, you know, if anything, like over the years, I've learned to balance it a little more, probably in my twenties and thirties, I've worked harder. And now you kind of learn to balance. Plus, you have like a great team that that supports you. It's not like a new idea. Like we all knew what we're getting into. And uh, with the extensive travel, like when my previous company was in New York City. So, you know, the kids were younger. So we just spend like a summer together in New York. Right. So summer vacations, we'll just get like an Airbnb and all this. So I would still work, but we'd get to spend the time together, which is like a big lot of fun. Can you juxtapose the way that folks work in Israel versus here. Is there any difference? Do you see any cultural differences in the way that work is thought of, valued? I'm just really curious how that's evolved. Yeah, yeah, there there are. And even that has like changed in the last few years in a pretty pretty big way, right? 
for us in Israel, first, like different personas. Uh, in Israel, it's mostly like uh, engineering and product, which is like a one type of like personality. I mean, I'm stereotyping like very broad strokes. And here it's mostly like go to market functions, some uh, people in, in, in finance. So in Israel, we have like an office. It's a very small, it's like a state, right? Even like half a state, it's like Northern California, right? So that's the size. So everybody's in the office like a few times a week and it's very communal. You know, we have like hit our lunch, you come around lunch and it's buzzing, right? And exploding, people really enjoy that. And here it's more scattered now. It used to be like that, like in, you know, 2019. And now it's like people are more scattered. And just the sheer size of the geography, like if you live in Colorado, you can't be in the office like every day. In Israel, you're never more than, let's say, like two hours away drive time. Right. So, you know, you might not come every day, but it's not a big deal to be at least once a week. And in Israel, it's six-day work weeks, not five? No, it's five. It's five. It's five, just different. It's a it shift. just ends up it's being just, a six-day work yeah. week for Americans that are living in Israel it, it, because your Monday is Sunday or whatever No, it's is. like it's like a, a Sunday through Thursday. Right. That's the usual. Right. Uh, yeah, it's five days a week. Yeah, okay. Same, same thing. Do you feel like we've lost the script a little bit here? I'm asking you this because you have such a good, you literally split time between these two places. And right. I think the cultures are very different about the way we think about work. Yeah. And by the way, I do think that there needs to be more balance on the not working side. I'm not arguing that. I just wonder if we've over-rotated. I think that the remote work is challenging, especially like in difficult times. And again, I don't want to like uh, judgmental because there are pros and cons like working together, like in office or not. But I see the kind of like team support that you're getting, right? And again, it's not that you really need to supervise people or they're working nine to five. That never mattered to me. I, I never like look at people like how many hours they're putting in, but kind of like, you know, what they're doing, right? And their impact, everybody's trusted. But if I'm, let's say, like a young SDR and I just am out of college, and it's a very hard job. You're getting like 20 rejections a day. I mean, it's crushing, right? But if you have like people around you that, you know, they all experience the same thing. They can support you. You look around you. You have these like random uh, conversations. You go and have lunch together. That creates a much uh, better environment for success. So in some roles, yeah, you, you could be like if you're like some kind of like a analyst or a finance director and you could work on your own. Some roles, we went a little bit too far with the uh, remoteness. Yeah. I worry that over the last two years, because people hired so many folks remote, because so much hiring was happening, because there was an accelerant of digital transformation when everyone was stuck at home. I don't know how you unwind that gracefully. I think that uh, we would probably not fully unwind it. I think that I yeah. think it's here to stay. There's a lot of benefit for that. You know, people can work where their passion is. I mean, they don't need to commute as much. So it's not bad. I think we'll shift some of that back for some roles. And again, gradually, like, listen, if we have someone at Gong who's fantastic, so we have like people working in Hawaii, right? That was like a lifelong dream of them and they're super successful and they can do both. And why not? We're not going to say, you know, you come to the office or else. But some roles, like if they're especially like new and teamwork is key, right? And a new group. I mean, for that, we're starting to shift back to in office and we have multiple offices. So it gives people like a quite a bit of choice. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm not going to harp on this too much, but I have some strong thoughts, obviously. Just to rewind before Gong, you were at Click Software for 13 years? 11, I think. 11 yeah. years? Yeah. And this is like a defining run of your career. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Were you and your wife living in Boston for this? We started in Israel and then we moved to Boston. And did you have kids yet? We're not. We just got married and they tell us, hey, can you go and open like the operation in the U.S.? I said, sure, yeah, why not? We thought we we're going for a year. It's kind of like an extended honeymoon. And then came back like nine years later with uh, two boys. <laughs> <laughs> Was there not conversation about moving to the Bay Area? At that time, we opened an office in California and we yeah. started shifting some of the company. But then like we, you know, sort of like the dot-com bus. And then it was like uh, we had to shut down the office, which is like another defining moment. Remember like, uh, you know, what happens when you were, when you go crazy. But no, we we liked it over there. Uh, somehow we liked the uh, the cold weather and uh, I'm kidding. Yeah. And then you went to Panaya? 
Yes. Is that right? Yes. Banaya was an Israeli company. We moved back to Israel again, not for professional reasons. We, you know, we love being here, but we wanted the uh, the boys to have like, you know, grandparents. I think they're priceless. So we, that was the decision. And you spent five years there. Yes. Give or take. Then you went to be the CEO of SciSense, right? Yes. Three years there, which is where the idea of Gong kind of struck you. Yeah. As the story goes. Yes, it's true. Can you tell the audience maybe just for framing, what does Gong do? And maybe you could use a real life example. So Gong is, is an AI platform that captures customers' conversations over email, Zoom, telephone, and other media. Uh, uses natural language understanding to understand what is being said and then turns in like uh, insights and actions that improve the performance both for sales, customer success, sales development, and also product and marketing. Think of like a like a self-organizing customer management system that controls the entire seller process. And I got the idea for ultimately being going in what I call the quarter from hell. I was feeling like a really bad quarter. As the CEO of SciSense. Yes. And we're growing like in a really nice pace, like everything was on fire. We did like a, a sizable round in those days terms, a lofty valuation. We had like a great quarter. I tell people this is a closing quarter. You know, things were fine. And all of a sudden comes July and sales are kind of slowing down. And we're saying, OK, maybe it's like, you know, summer, people on vacation and then they're starting to take a nosedive. And I had no idea what was going on. And I called the investor says, listen, I know it looks like odd, you know, but um, there's nothing like funky going on. I'll get to the bottom of it. And I'm starting to ask people like, what is going on? And I'm hearing all these stories. Sales are obviously blaming the leads, right? Yeah, we have enough leads, but the leads that we're getting right now don't have a sense of urgency. Marketing is blaming sales. You hired like a bunch of rookies, which was true. We hired a lot of new people. So that was also true. They're both blaming the product. We're competing with the, you know, Tableau and ClickView, some bigger vendors that are just, you know, on fire, the IPOs. So maybe the competition is eating our lunch. And that was like very embarrassing and confusing, right? These are like big questions. Why are we winning and losing, right? Why are some people successful? Some are not. And I sent the people to search for data in our CRM system and they couldn't find anything. So there's nothing there. And then kind of dawned on me that, well, this doesn't make sense. These are some key information about why do customers churn? Why do we lose deals? Why do some people fail to succeed? It's all in people's heads. You ask people and you get anecdotes, you get their opinion. It's the last deal that they lost to competitor because we didn't have that feature, right? You don't know and you don't have the data. And that's why I understood that kind of CRM system were built for the leadership team. They're not built for the customer facing teams. They need to put in the information. They kind of do it reluctantly. They don't love it. And it was ends up in the CRM is like 1% of the data. And it's obviously subjective. So that was the point where I thought, can we create something that automatically captures like all customer communications and turns it into insights that we understand what's going on without putting the onus on the people, like a full self-driving car, but for customers. That feeling of being the adopted parent of SciSense, where you came in not as the founder, the round that you had just raised, do you remember the, what the valuation was? Like how good, like... It, I, it, I mean, it, it looked like silly these days, like, you know, 30 million at 180 or something. But yeah. things were good. Yeah, things were very good. Yeah, like the business was growing. Yeah. And then when you missed, you used the word embarrassing. Can you just describe that feeling a little bit more? Meaning like you're calling the board and you have your tail between your legs because you don't have the answers. It's one yeah. thing to miss the quarter. Yeah. It's another thing to have zero answers for to why. not know what's going on. Yeah, it is. I'll say two things. First, I'm a high integrity person, right? And again, it's like there's nothing like funny going on. I'm very direct at Gong, we have something called no sugar. Like we talk about problems like very, very openly, like exactly like they are. 
and I'm a data per- a lot of people don't know that but I'm actually like an engineer I wrote code mm-hmm. and I'm I'm cuz you're a, so cool they can't they mistake you for they, for they, like- they, yeah <laughs> people ask me what people don't know you about this surprise yeah I wrote code yeah. uh, I forget to mention <laughs> that uh, I'm actually like they didn't call it at time but I've, I'm a data scientist my degree is in uh, statistics and mm-hmm. computer science mm-hmm. so I'm very uh, uh data driven I love data and not knowing is not something that I'm proud of. First, I've, you know, I've rarely missed a number. I was too pride in like uh, not missing any number. And second, not knowing is, is very hard. Yeah. What strikes me is that as I've done my homework on you, it always seems like you are predestined to start a company. This is what you love to do. And obviously there is a long buildup that I think was required at Click for you to maybe earn the credibility, but also the muscle memory of how to do this thing. Why did you wait to be the adopted parent of SciSense before starting a company, rather than just going from Click or Panaya straight into doing your own thing? Yeah. Like, why then? Well, it's a great question. I, I don't know. People ask me, did you always know that you want to start a company or a yeah. CEO? No, I never had a plan. Yeah. Honestly, I, my curiosity led me over the years from one thing to another, maybe like at a lower pace than usual. So I started the first company. I always joined company very early, like pre-revenue. Almost all of them are like very little revenue. But there was already like an idea, right, or, or a concept, and it definitely was a company. Uh, Gong was the first one started completely from scratch that I incorporated it, Elon and I. But I just followed from one thing to another, right? I said, oh, I was a CMO. Now, next step is a CEO, right? And that's like an opportunity. It's a good opportunity to start with something that already exists. You kind of minimize your risk factor. You know, this is an existing business, just need to turn around. And you could learn fairly quickly. But it's not that I say, okay, let's do Sisense first. And then my next thing is start an own company. One step at a time. How old were you when you started going? 50. Wow. Five zero. It's amazing. Yeah. Did you get knocked for that? Meaning like when you go fundraise, that's not the archetype. I don't think so. It's, it's atypical. I don't think so. You never know. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. I think there is like, you know, there's some time, you know, you can't start a company. There are people saying if you're not 22, like you can't start a company because, you know, you're not working like 17 hours a day. I think the thinking has shifted. I'm pretty sure I did get somewhat because I'm and some people is kind of like white privilege, right? Uh, I'm not. But, I, you know, I'm Israeli. I, yeah. you know, I have like uh, uh, grammar mistakes sometimes and. So I did get some of that, like uh, almost like subconscious. So people say, like, you know, you understand here in America, it doesn't work, right? Mm. So I did, I did get some of that ageism. I don't know, not, not that I'm aware of. No, I think most people that I work with kind of know my track record and trajectory. So that was not like a factor. And what about internally for you? Did you knock yourself? Did you worry? Like, God, am I? No, no, not, not even a bit. No, no, no. All right. And you've raised $538 million to date from GoTo, Sequoia, Battery, Norwest, $7 billion valuation as of June of 21. Hell of a time to raise money. Yeah. Was it always 1,200 employees, 1,300? Something like that. Yeah. 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 Employees. Okay. Was it always easy raising money? No. Because it sure looks like it. It was, it was, um, you wouldn't believe how hard it was. Nobody wanted to invest in us. Nobody. At the Series A? Seed, Series A, even Series B was kind of like, we were able to raise, but we got a lot of no's. And there are people like who said no to the A and came to the B. People say no to the B and came, invested in the Seed and, you know, at a higher multiple, but. Why? Did the business metrics look shitty when you were trying to raise the Seed in the A? No, they're great. It's a bunch of things, right? Uh, so first they said, okay, there is no, and again, all smart people. Nobody is like stupid. Like all people that I know and know me were good friends, right? So it should be like a walk in the park. Done. Still couldn't get it done. And Dora is a partner in our West. Says, this is like actually like the hardest deal for me to pass the partnership. Because like you said, sometimes I can get some of these like esoteric, hyper tensor technology that nobody knows anything about. But you know, the, you know, the founder worked at VMware. So they say, okay, like that's fine. Now you talk about sales. 
it's like psychology and marketing, right? Now that everybody thinks that they understand, right? Every partner thinks that they understand sales, mm-hmm. right? So they said salespeople are going to hate it. Recording, like, seriously, how can you do that? Google and Amazon are going to own that space. There hasn't been like any company that has uh, been successful in the sales space, which is true. Up until then, like, I think there was like uh, some companies were burnt with like investment that didn't become like substantial companies. Some didn't think that the technology would work. So we got a lot of resistance. Is there a metaphor that you can use for what Gong did in the market with previous companies? Are there any comps of what you guys did with previous companies in era before you? So you can think of Gong as like as like Google for enterprise. This is this is what it is. So Google, you know, someone might not know, had a predecessor who was a Yahoo. Yahoo was a human curated directory, right? So if you wanted to know what the top 12 pizza joints in San Francisco are, they're actually people doing the taxonomies and, and the, the labelings, right? Defined. And Google came and says, forget it. Like, we're going to do everything automatically. We're going to index the world's information, like, without humans in the equation, created something that's like 100 times bigger, like way more information. And then on top of that, they build the application. This is what Gong does to traditional SaaS applications. We started with the CRM, right? Which again is like a human curated system where people put in information. We're using AI to capture a lot more data and provide a lot more meaning. And we're seeing it in other areas, in recruiting, in project management, in a lot of other areas, everywhere that requires human input. That's probably like uh, going away. So... It's a really transformational technology. We didn't re- recognize like back then how big it could get. Was it weird for you in the last two years, given what you saw from the early days? Like you have the battle wounds and scars, knowing like, what the hell? We have good business metrics and we can't raise money. And I imagine in the later rounds, people were begging to be on the cap yeah, table. Yeah, yeah. Was that surreal? It was not surreal. Like, and, and again, I never had like hard feelings. I totally understood what people sure. said at the time. Sure. It was it was reasonable, right? Sometimes the distance between like uh, stupidity and brilliance is kind of hard to tell. How many people passed on Google or thought that Tesla is going to fail? It's a high risk, a very ambitious project. I actually told people, and we have it recorded on all hands, let's not drink our Kool-Aid. This is like valuation. It's not something we celebrate. We celebrate the number of customers, the number of employees. These are the real metrics that matter to a company. It's all we're raising, not for the valuation. We're raising and to have the money for a rainy day. Because I knew from 2000 and 2008 that, you know, it's just a matter of time. It will come. I have been told that... What are gongs like company colors? Purple and fuchsia. Yeah. And fuchsia? Yeah. Okay. So you bleed purple and fuchsia. Like the, you are the company and you represent, you are the number one spokesperson representative for the company. When you are so all in, does distinguishing between Amit, the dad, husband, whatever it is, musician, and the CEO of the company, do those lines start to blur? for you or is it easy for you to pull away of course they blur i mean you can't distinguish because like um people think like you know brand and culture are not something that you pay an agency to define and create a poster it's how you act who you are how you behave it's your body language more than anything right so your personality right if you're one of my my vp says like i don't want to be beige like ever right so your personality if you're beige People can tell you fuchsia doesn't suit you, right? So it's how you act. And you tend to hire. People kind of follow. Either you kind of hire people that find a proposition attractive. And then they see you and your leaders follow you and everybody else. So that's what the uh, culture and behavior and brand is all about. I've never thought about it in this way until you just started talking. But Gong's clear superpower, one of them is marketing, for sure. The brand of the business is in a league of its own. And I wonder if so much of that comes from the amount of personality of the founders of the team that you allow to kind of shine through into the brand. Absolutely. First, I think that people buy from people, right? And people think that if you're like in enterprise software, you need to be like fully buttoned up, very formal. And people like to buy from people. 
they like like a person, not a kind of a logo or a brand. That's what they interact. We always took cue from the great consumer marketing products. We were like, you know, like Apple and Tesla more than some of the like a, like an IBM, right? It's never like our role model. We hate it actually. And second, I allow a lot of people and I encourage a lot of people to shine. So you'll see a lot of the uh, the gong people. We have like celebrities that are bigger than me. I was uh, at a customer event and I was like, hey, I meet Phenom. I said, hey, nice to meet you. Like, where is like Sheena? Right. And it's like uh, she because she's big on a podcast and she's revealed. So, uh, I mean, that, that's great that a lot of people like find their own personal brand within the company and they help us grow as well. I was with Parker. Conrad, the Rippling founder, and one of the things that we were talking about that made me think of you is, and he said this in another podcast, and I just found it fascinating, and I'd never heard about it. I've never thought about it in this way until he said it, which was, imagine building a company is like your favorite sport, and you just love being on the field playing the sport. And I'd never thought about company building in that way. That's how I feel when I work. That's how I feel at Kleiner when I work with our portfolio. That's how I felt when I was at startups. And I had a really hard time explaining to people how in some weird way, their blinds are so blurred because I love it. And when you make the sport metaphor, it makes a lot of sense. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. And we've actually used that in Gong. So I likened... So I'd say like, you know, we're big soccer fans like in Israel and in my family, we, you know, we watch the games and first you do it for the love of the game, right? And again, it's not, people don't do it for money. You just, you do something that you enjoy. Second, it's about teams, right? Gong, we have like win as a team. And again, it's not like be a team player. That's like a, you know, like a, that's a cliche. Win as a team, you'd see that. Whenever you ask for help, people are, will be happy to help you. Like, and I saw like from the early days, and were Barcelona fans in our home, like in the days where, like, I mean, maybe they don't have their best season right now, but in days where good, you see that the passing the ball is just awesome, right? How it goes and how everybody like succeeds as a team. It's not about like Cristiano Ronaldo, he's like one player, or LeBron, that it's like everybody like serves him. Like, and so like Barcelona is like an all star team, like, everybody was like amazing at what they did and you see the ball passing that's what i strive to do to create like an all-star team that everybody's amazing and everybody's like passing the ball and having a blast do you think that creates a superpower weapon for the company meaning it's very obvious to me that you do it for the love of the game and i say that because it does not feel like it's about the money you're wearing an iPhone one, though. I want whatever. What is it? The Apple watch. It's literally like, a, I want, like, a, oh. this is a Garmin. That's a it's Garmin. It's not a Rolex. Yeah. It's, it's a Garmin. It's, a, it's not even it's the, a uh, Garmin. it's, it's a And it looks model, like yeah. an Apple watch. I can't yeah. even tell the difference. And like, you know, like I feel like that shirt you would wear around the house. Like, I, I just don't feel like there's any level of anything other than like, that's what you wore because you're going to go to work. Like it's not even a thought for you. And I feel like that's very pure. And I feel like when your intent is so pure, that means something. That means something to the people that work for you. Yeah, we try to be uh, genuine. So, you know, I have like pizza with the team, right? That's what we do. And it's not that we, you know, we serve like caviar at Gong or anything. It's never about those novelties. We just enjoy the game. We enjoy the ride. We try to have fun. You ask about the colors or a lot of the uh, the brand. One of our operating principles, I think we're going to touch almost as like, enjoy the ride, which means like we're dead serious about our work, but we don't take ourselves like too seriously. Yeah, we could have a fun, we could be funny, we could tell a joke, and it's it's never formal. Have you al- So have you always felt that way? Have you always been able to enjoy the ride? Yes, I've always enjoyed the call, but when companies that I've not started from scratch, sometimes you come into like an existing culture, but yeah, yeah definitely when I was a CEO, I was like uh, fun, and, and I did enjoy like even in other companies, Yeah, you, you don't fully shape the culture. Maybe what I'm trying to get at is, I wonder when you're having the quarter from hell at SciSense, are you still enjoying the ride in the same way that post series E or series D from Co2? You know, I mean, easier said than done, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that wasn't fun. That was like a, that was like a <laughs> stressful time. There are times uh, like, you know, 2000, the dot-com bust was terrible. Like it was really like uh, uh, frightening. Yeah. 
I did like an internal party of six at the company. We're discussing people that gone through 2000 and 2008 and others that are kind of under 34 that have not been through a crisis that all seen as like upper to the right. So yeah. we've had that conversation to sir to discuss terms that aren't fun. My point is this doesn't feel like an accident. And you know, you're on you have all these accolades like you're on the number 2 startup to culture work for whatever. And a lot of people think those are kind of like college ratings where you pay to play for those. And it, it's like this is legit. Like this is coming from a place where you just showed me you know, you're spending time every day memorizing BDR's names before you meet with them. Yeah. It's legit. I really appreciate that and I admire it. What was a point in Gong that you felt like you struggled the most? Well, it comes and go. In the early days, people did not want to buy from us. We had like uh, a few that kind of did us a favor in the early days, but then it was, you know, people said, oh, it's expensive. I got, uh, you know, a lot of other projects until we learned how to sell it properly we had like a neck-to-neck competition in the early days that was like, you know, we're almost like at a, even like at somewhat of a disadvantage, like in the early days. So we're, you know, losing your first deal to competition is hard and you don't know, maybe they'll, you know, they'll eat us or something until we're able to get on a roll and build the competitive gap. And even these times right now, it's like challenging for everybody. It's again, it's like uh, what's going on around us and to our customers and all of us, these are... You know, startup is a roller coaster ride, but there's no horror stories. Like it's been a fairly smooth rise. There's no yeah. never at a point where like, you know, those cool stories like, you know, the pivot or anything else. Yeah, yeah. It's like and I told people so our story is like pretty boring. Like what we thought is pretty much where we are and yeah. even better. Like I can't tell you all these like twists and turns. Yeah. I had uh, Michelle Zaitlin, the co-founder of Cloudflare on this morning, and she was saying the same thing. She's like, look, I don't have the good Hollywood, like terrible pivot yeah, story yeah. for you. There's a story that I'm hoping you can share. You got in a car accident after you went swimming. <laughs> Can you share the story? Yeah, I share it with people, you know, so when, when I take like the uh, the team to captain's table, right? And, you know, we share like embarrassing stories. So this is one. I have two that I, that I alternate between. This was a period where I think I was like in my uh, early 40s, kind of like a midlife crisis. I was like not in good shape, somewhat overweight, and my wife told me, oh, this friend of mine started like a triathlon group. He says, oh, that's great. And I was like in, in when I was like a, a child and a teenager, I was in, in a swim team and that was my thing. So I said, okay, let's go. And uh, so I was starting to swim like every day. And there's this place near a house. So I went there like early morning. I didn't take anything on me. Like it's just, just me, the flip-flops, the Speedo and a towel, right? No driver's license, not even a phone, I don't think so. Not even a t-shirt. Yeah, not even a t-shirt. And it wasn't like a pretty sight. <laughs> you mean you and a Speedo? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this uh, this was the first time that I did like uh, on that day. So it's just here, I just started training and I did like 3,000 meters elapses. Oh, that's, I felt, wow, we're back in business, right? It's like... Uh, and it must have been like the adrenaline or something. So I, you know, I drive home and all of a sudden I get hit by a, by a pickup truck. This car starts spinning, airbags go off, the glasses are smashed. And, you know, I was okay, but I was kind of in a shock, right? I didn't know what's going on. It was almost like everything was in slowdown. And I go out and there I am in the middle of the junction, shattered glass, like across the road. Police shows up. The other car, I mean, they weren't like seriously injured, but I think it's they got like the, uh, the whiplash or something. So they had an ambulance come and take them. It's like elderly people. The police officer comes in and says, can I see the driver's license? Uh, so, uh, I left it at home. Say, okay, can you call someone? So I don't have my phone. So I, I go to this like total stranger. <laughs> can you imagine the size? Uh, would you mind if I use your phone? It so it is like overweight person like in a speedo asking her for a phone. So I'm calling my wife. Calling like two or three times. Turns out it was like 8 a.m. She was at a yoga class. She's not picking up. She leaves the class. She see like unanswered phone calls. She calls back and says, oh, like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so-and-so. Your husband was uh, involved in a car accident. Like, he's over there. And it says, he's okay. Don't worry. So she rushes. And then I see her like from the distance, like in her car. She sees me in a speedo. She grabs her head. I says, oh my God. Yeah, I know. She let me drive home. I'll get you like a like the pants, right? Uh, first thing. So that was like, yeah, she fortunately she's still with me. 
Well, it's a sight. I, I definitely like remember the visuals. I am gonna ask her if there's a picture somewhere. There's got to be a picture. Fortunately somewhere. not. Fortunately <laughs> not. Maybe they're like street street grammars or something. Well, you, know? uh, you said there was another embarrassing story about me abandoning her and our one year old like uh, out there in a the cold. I've never. I haven't in heard the this. snow to freeze. No. Uh, all right. That's. Uh, Do you want to share it? You don't have to. Yeah, sorry, honey, if you're if you're listening, but uh, she didn't even we remember that we're we're still together. So there was one time went to his like toy store with our one year old. He loves to play with like Thomas the uh, the tank engines, and they had this table. And I'm you know we're having fun. It was like, winter in Boston, right? It was like snowing outside, and I wanted to spare them the walk from the store to the car. So let me go pick up the car, and you wait for me here. And I go and pick up the car, and they wait and wait and wait and wait. And then she calls me like, where are you? And I was like, an, uh, it turns out I was like an autopilot on my way home. It happens when you're occupied and uh, yeah. How often does that happen to you? Where your brain can't stop? My brain can't stop. It's always like thinking of something. That's how it always is. Yeah, it's always, it's always like on. Do you think that's a feature or a bug? Both. It's it's definitely a bug. Sometimes you talk with someone and you can see your mind meanders. Uh, it was like in university, it was hard for me to listen, right? Especially like long monologues are kind of challenging. So university, if there's like, you know, they talk about set theory or probability, you know, 10 minutes and I'm zoned out. Yeah. It actually uh, ties nicely into gong. When I talk with people, sometimes I'll, I'll think about stuff, right? But I, I do it all the time. I do it when, you know, in the shower. I do it like when I drive. I do it when, whenever I, um, whatever I'm doing. But you come up with ideas all the time. Yeah. That's the power. Yeah. I'm the same way. And it gets to the point where I'll be in the shower and I forget if I washed my body. Like I, I, yeah. I, I have yeah. no idea what yeah. just happened. Yeah. Like I'm so far gone. Right. Sometimes I'll go and try to uh, bring something from the kitchen and then, you know, halfway there, like, wait a minute, like what was I looking for? Like, yeah. The other problem that I run into is I have zero ability to hide it. It's almost like when my brain starts turning on, it's all over my face. And so if I'm in the middle of a conversation, it's so clear when my brain is somewhere else. Yeah, you know, my, I, my, my wife knows that. She'll recognize like it. It's I'm, almost not, like I'm not even aware. I'm not even aware of myself, but you say, oh, where are you? Like, So maybe this is just selfish line of questioning now, but I've been asking myself if this is a feature or a bug for a long time now. And I believe channeled appropriately, it's good and healthy. It can drive me crazy. It drives me a little bit nuts. Does it drive you nuts? It doesn't drive me nuts. I don't like when you talk with someone and they feel you're not paying attention. Yeah. I'm mindful of that and that's what I try to control. With myself, no, I don't mind like going like in all different direction when I'm on my own. Do you have the ability to just sit and focus on things for long blocks of time? Yes, I could do when I set my mind to it and when I'm focused and I have like a, a tunnel vision. And again, it has to be something like uh, very interesting and compelling to me. If it's something boring, that'll be more of a challenge. Yeah, but I imagine a lot of your time is just spent thinking about gong. Oh, yeah. Most of the time is about gong. Like even when you're whatever, doing whatever, it's just about gong. Yeah. And you love it. So it's not like a big deal? No, it's it's definitely interesting. And sometimes I'll shoot people like emails in the middle of the night or, or Slack, right? And again, I don't expect them to read, but just don't want to forget it because you know, I'm already moving on to the next thing. So I might text like alone, hey, what do you think about this product idea or that product idea? And then just remind me to talk about it when we speak next. So I always like send these notes. So and then I just uh, just move on. I, I read, you know, definitely and think about stuff like beyond Gong as well. But uh, definitely Gong is at the top. You know what I find an interesting paradox about you is that you have started a AI company that is automating go-to-market and sales intelligence, yet you are so focused on the personal human relationships. Doesn't that strike you as interesting? I look at it as a, as a creation, so... I always wanted to be like an artist, right? That was like when I was a child, I wanted to be like a musician or something. And I think there's something common to both like creating companies or whether like visual arts or music or writing a book. You want people to be moved. You want to create something that is great. And when you create a product that people rave about, that's the highest reward. And when you create a company that people want to work for, that's the highest reward. So... 
actually, you know, we started with salespeople. I think one of the reasons Gong was so successful because I understood the persona like very well. I understood, you know, what they like, what they don't like technology, how easy it needs to be, what motivates them. And then we got to that uh, wow factor. So there's no contradiction. And AI does not replace people. It's replaced some of the chores that they hate anyway. So everybody wins. On the AI piece, we have seen some of the most exciting advances in AI technology to the point where some people might even believe it's over-bubbled right now. It's over-hyped in this moment, which, I don't know, it's pretty incredible. I'm really curious, building the AI company that you're building, what do you make of this? What do you make of what's happening? I don't think it's overhyped. I think most people like underestimate the uh, the potential and understand even I just you know what we saw now with the GPT chat is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Can you explain to the audience what that is, what it's doing? It's called like a generative transform from OpenAI and there the other like you know Lambda from Google and other uh, technologies that does that. Basically it's a large language model so it kind of read like all the documents in the world that are public domain like Wikipedia and websites and and other sources. And then in natural language, you can ask him questions like, can you write a short essay on the U.S. uh, revolution or constitution or pros and cons? And it'll just create it for you. So that's very powerful. Anything from poems to uh, recipes to essays, it can generate text. That's pretty powerful. And I was actually using it tongue in cheek. So we had uh, an all hands call last week and i said can you create like a 300 word opening for me it talks about like macroeconomics challenges about how we grow the new products all of that and it did an incredible job but you know almost my job was made redundant and why is that so exciting it works very well so kind of the premise was always there but to see a product actually works like very well is exciting progress i think we still have a lot of work to do because it could get a lot more powerful what we're seeing right now is kind of to do stuff that people can do a lot of work and shorter, faster. So it's definitely like a, a productivity. And, you know, we could turn from creators to kind of like editors. You know, my interest is can it do stuff that people cannot do, like no matter what, right? In a way, it's like much more powerful. I think that's the open frontier. Like what? What's an example of something that we're not thinking of today that you think could be an exciting development? This is not, will sound like a little far-fetched. I said, I think about Gong. So I, I've been thinking, you know, in the last year about things that we cannot know. There are things that we don't know. We don't know how to cure cancer, but I think we'll probably will, right? I don't know if it takes like 10 years or 100 years or 200 years, but these are things that, you know, almost certainly we will figure it out. But our brain, we're the most advanced primate right, is not infinitely capable, right? It's probably the most capable of like uh, species that live on the face of the earth, but it's not the most powerful machine conceivable. So if you take a dog, for example, there's stuff that they don't know, like, you know, sit, go, stay, right? But differential equations, they will never be able to process that. They just can't grasp. It's possible, and I think probable, that there are stuff that we cannot know. Maybe you already have some of that, like quantum mechanics, for example, right? Richard Feynman is like one of the fathers of the theory. He said like, yeah, I get the math, the equations, but I don't fully understand it or things like entanglement. So we're already on the verge of things that are, might be hard to grasp. And then to get to like advanced concept, how the universe really works, it's possible that uh, it's just unknowable to us. And this is where machines could play. You know, if you could like crack how the universe works and learn more so we made like a good progress since like Newton, like 300 years, like made like a big jump. Imagine how much more we can learn if we can use AI to do stuff that we cannot and will never be able to. In my world, some of the analogies that people are using is imagine the iPhone plus cloud combined is the magnitude of what people believe this opportunity could be yeah. in the way that this technology is breaking through at the rate that it's improving right now and compounding. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of happening. That you know, your your all the knowledge is available at your your fingertip right now. I think it could be like way bigger if you think kind of the uh, uh, how it all works. Kind of the, the 
the universe and the, the amount of like energy that is in the world, you know, you could tap into like a, things that are a lot more powerful that are kind of hard to imagine. We tend to extrapolate things like from based on stuff that we know. This could make like a big jump in ways that are non-linears and not fully predictable. And do you worry or get excited about applying some of these things to Gong? I get excited. I get excited. You always need to worry because like, you know, once technology is available, if we're not like at the front, then, you know, it makes it easier for other people to develop it. So we're not necessarily the only one. That's why we have to be like on the edge. But we have a long-term vision and we spoke about like almost equivalent of a, of a full self-driving car. We're not completely there because, you know, we don't necessarily understand everything that's being said. You know, we understand to a good degree, but it's not 100%. And how to drive action automatically is something that still is a constant area of research. And it's possible by the current investment. I think if we started, you know, we started thinking about Gong in 2015, we really launched the company in 2016. Have we started two or three years before that? We probably would not have been successful because just the technology wasn't good enough. If you were redoing the company from scratch, knowing what you know, what are some things you would have done differently? And please don't answer nothing. I regret nothing because there's always ways to improve. Right. I said a story like pretty linear. You know, it's like being like a Monday morning quarterback or something, right? But I think some of the things we could have done faster, some products that we almost like wasted a year with internal discussions of what should the colors be or what should that be or should we do it this way, that way, kind of discussing in the office versus out, you know, get something out there, get the customer feedback, iterate quickly. So we probably lost a year of time to market on certain products and we could have done them faster. I don't know. And time will tell because yeah. some, some, some things are easier to tell in hindsight. Yeah, I guess we will tell. I'm excited yeah. to see. You don't strike me as tired, M- meaning like you started the company at an older age. You've been at this company for eight nine years now and you're going to be at it for like you're not going to you're not going public this year you nope. know no, no one's going public right nope. now right so <laughs> even when you achieve that milestone that's in a lot of ways kind of just the beginning right it's a long journey and the way that i describe startups is that it's at its most simple form problem solving sequentially in perpetuity that's all it is yeah. it's just solving problems over and over again And again, I know that's a very overly simplistic definition, but if you take that definition and you do that for eight years, that's a lot of problem solving. That is hard. And the things that hit your desk now are not the easy problems. They're the hard ones. And so it actually gets harder in some ways. Maybe this is more of a comment that I'd love your reaction to, but you don't strike me as tired. I'm not tired. I actually do not see my role as solving problems. Mm. I do solve problems every day. What excites me and keeps me going is pursuing opportunities. So my focus on, you know, what are we creating? What's exciting? And I have like a vision that I would like. It's it's a creation, right? Something like art that I want to see it working, right? It's a product. That's the motivation. And you kind of solve problems like along the ways. Like in every day, I get probably like, hundreds of emails, half of them are good and half of them are not good. That's like always like there's a problem here, there's a problem there, but there's also something that that balances. But yeah, you have to have like a purpose and a goal and it allows you to deal with a lot of product because what you're doing is hard. It's very hard. It's definitely not for the faint of art, but uh, um, no, I'm not feeling tired at all. Yeah, it's exciting, man. You make me very optimistic about company building. Yeah, it's a long journey. I even told the company, everybody said, when is the IPO? And when is the IPO? Like even like uh, last year. So like, listen, uh, IPO, I think it's it's a milestone. I think it's it's a pretty cool event, right? It's not a destination, right? It's it's like like marriage. You know, it's the wedding is one thing that's pretty cool, but it's actually the life thereafter. It has to be like solid and healthy and enriching, right? That's and the work event. actually kind of just begins in that, oh, in that it's, marriage. Oh, it's more work, yeah. So, you know, if you're like public right now, you know, probably I have to deal with all the outside pressures and the press and the ticker prices. Yeah, definitely the journey, the long-term vision, what keeps me energized. And you solve problems along the way. This is a weird question, but does work stress you out? Honestly, no. I know it's hard to believe. I, I believe it. First, you know, I'm in my 50s. I've done a lot and nothing like uh, very few 
things scare me and I know that, you know, this has to succeed. And I was like, don't mind like consequences, all that. So I know that we will succeed. That's one. Second, I'm blessed with a really strong leadership team that actually I could probably like take like 60 days off right now and everything will just work. Yeah, they'll miss me, but they'll do fine. So building a great team helps keep things in control and running. There are challenges. They're real. It's not that I don't see them. I see them and I address them and respond to them, but they don't scare me. And when you see a big challenge, I know you see opportunities, but I know you see challenges too. When you see a big problem, what does it feel like on the inside if it's not stress? I act. I actually even like enjoy that right in in a weird way and i know it might not sound genuine but i I think when there's a problem there's an opportunity to respond quickly and with intensity and ferocity right that people sometimes forget so it's always like it's like a thrill ride right it's like you enjoy the highs and the lows and everything if you take a little bit of an outside view and if you're if you act that's a great feeling it really is an artistic view of company building uh, yeah, well, I'll tell you that. That's what I always wanted to be. Maybe one day I'll get into art. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good. Well, I think we have an episode title. I appreciate you. I really do. I'm just really happy that we got to do this. I generally end these things the same way. The first is, are you hiring? If you are hiring, are there any key roles that you're hiring for that you want to use this platform to talk about or shout out? We are hiring at a slower pace. So we have a few positions. I don't even know what... Uh, um, it's probably on the Gong Careers page. It's on the Gong's career page. So check it out. There's something that is a good fit for you. We would love for you to apply and feel free to reach out to me or, or, or the, uh, the hiring team. And in all positions, in engineering, in sales, in marketing, and finance, I think. Mm-hmm. What does the word grit mean to you? What do you think of when you hear that word? I think it's the uh, desire to succeed far outweighs the adversity and friction that gets in the way. Amit, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's just fun. Thank you. That's it. Thanks for tuning in. We've had some pretty amazing guests in the past and we'll have some pretty amazing guests in the future. I just really appreciate you all spending the time. 